0: Welcome to the Afterwards Podcast, where every week we spend some time talking with the teaching pastors about their message from the past weekend. And I'm Jason. Today I am joined again by Noel. We've been doing this for a while now. Yeah, but there's going to be a break after this.
1: I just That's a little bit of a teaser, but you'll get a break from me.
0: It's a good thing, bad thing. You got, you all can take that however you want, but there will be a little <laughs> bit of a break. But we, ha, we have been doing this for a few weeks. It feels like a good rhythm. It feels like... This I like I just said last week I look forward to this conversation every week. Yeah,
1: it's one of my favorite parts
0: of the week. It is a lot of fun. So, uh one of the things that I enjoy about it actually is it means I I have to spend a lot more I have to read your message first, I listen to your message and then we get to talk about it. And so, then the
1: problem is then you go to church and you elbow your wife and tell her things before <laughs> I say them. So
0: Yes. So actually that's interesting because really there's there is this, I've actually said this to people including my wife where like, "Hey, we record the podcast" And when you and I record, it's actually Friday right now. You won't listen to this until people won't hear this till Wednesday, but it's actually Friday and people might wonder, well, how can you talk about Noel's sermon before he gave it. Well, the secret is we actually record Noel's messages for the venues on Friday. I don't know if we're supposed to tell people that. I, I don't hide it. Okay. So. Yeah, so we record them because the laws of physics require that, you know, Noel can't be inside the screen there and here and there's just, there's just a lot of complexity there. So we actually do, we record them on Fridays and then we sit down and have this conversation. It's a good way for us to sort of end the week. Yeah. Setting people up for the middle of their week.
1: And it, it helps me think about the message even more going into the weekend. So that's, that's true. That's a good me point. Me well.
0: yeah. So, so this was an interesting message and I kind of the that you started by talking about a movie that i would be interested in how many people have seen that al pacino movie
1: right devil's advocate yes. for those of you who don't know what movie i referred to
0: but i couldn't help thinking of a different movie with the devil well it wasn't really with the devil but uh the the usual suspects have you seen the
1: movie oh my gosh not in a long time right no. so
0: but the the famous most famous line from that entire movie is at the very end where the Kevin Spacey character says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing the world that he didn't exist, right? Right. I won't give away why he says that because if you want to watch it, it's a twist, and there's a lot of twists. And that's in a, movie. a good
1: one to watch. I we can we can probably recommend that one more than the Devil's Advocate. Yes, I think.
0: <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, it's still <laughs> certainly rated R, but it's less rated R. Yeah. <laughs> and but but it it also reminded me of other movies because uh, where. There's a twist at the end that you just don't see coming, right? The sixth sense comes to mind, right? With the, uh, uh, what's his name? Bruce Willis character who the whole time he's talking to this kid who can see dead people. And by the way, we're not spoiling that. If you have not seen that movie, that's on you. That came out so long (laughs) ago. (laughs) That's on you. And there's a twist at the end, (laughs) which is that his character is actually dead. And that's why he can talk to this kid, right? And he's been dead for a very significant portion of the movie. So this passage sort of does the same thing. And now part of that's because of the way that it's broken out in terms of the way we're tackling it. But you describe, you kind of summarize this whole passage in your message. And then at the very end, it's like, we're not unaware of Satan, right? So, so Paul's talking about all of this stuff and he's talking about this guy and it was a painful visit. And he talks about, you know, the punishment for this other guy. And then there's this Satan. Right. And he, and I, it sort of threw me off as I was like looking at this, but this verse you, you said is, I mean, this, Part of this verse is really sort of the key to understanding the whole thing.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think what's interesting is when we are breaking down the passages for this series, you know, so you got to figure out where you're going to put your breaks, and sometimes the logical breaks hit exactly in the same place that the chapters hit when you know whoever put these chapters and verses together. But this is one of those instances where the thought that Paul is making continues from the end of chapter one into chapter two significantly. And it runs all the way, you know, through verse 11. And so, when I was reading it and kind of trying to divide this text down, I was like, you can't divide this whole section. So I did that, you know, I don't know months ago and then I get into prepping it and, 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 you know, sometimes I'm like, why did I do that? And so like this one, I just kept getting confused as I was trying to study it. And then it was like, it was like that punchline that like that, uh, at the end of the sixth sense where it's all of a sudden when I realized, Oh, He's just been talking about the devil's schemes this whole time. And then to double back and to go, oh, it is remarkably consistent with what you see the rest of scripture talking about the devil's schemes being like. So it was, it wasn't, you won't normally catch it if you just read one chapter a day, right? Of your Bible, you won't catch those things. Right.
0: Well, and another piece of sort of behind the scenes is that we we as a team here get together about three weeks before each of these messages, and we sort of talk about them. And I remember as we had this conversation, it was in that meeting where all of a sudden it's like, "This is like, oh yeah, that's the theme. That's the thing we want people to take away from this message is we, you know, we don't want them to be unaware that that Satan is trying to deceive us, right? And he is trying to divide us, and that that's what this whole passage is about, and what this message is about, and. That's it's an interesting thing. I don't know that anybody came to church to hear this message and all of a sudden thought that they were going to hear about Satan,
1: yeah, right, right? exactly. even if you had read Reddit. this in advance, you're like, this is not going to be a message all about the devil right and it, but, it but it was
0: it was almost entirely about the devil <laughs> it was. and And so I go back to the usual suspect's quote because really that is the the theme here right where the the greatest trick that Satan has ever pulled is convincing the world that he didn't exist because if he doesn't exist, then it's just your problem.
1: Yeah. Right? Well, well I'm about it. Most of the, the biggest issue is when people think that God doesn't exist and that is a big issue. Right. But you, if you say, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Satan that creates all kinds of philosophical problems and experiential problems. And to, to realize that the devil is real and he is involved in, in our world. I mean, he's, I'm not, he's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. Sometimes we tend to think of him as like the yin to God's yang. Like he's the exact opposite of God. No, no, he's, he's way below God. He's a created being like, so, but he exists and he's been around for a really long time. And so he has figured out his strategies and his schemes and he uses them. Yeah. And
0: that actually, you just said something that occurred to me for the first time when I was listening to this message. Which is that he has been around for a very long time. He is not a new thing. I I mean, I've been a Christian for a very long time. I've read the Bible several times, but it wasn't until I heard the message when you jump back to the passage in Genesis where I realized, oh yeah, he was there before Adam and Eve, right? Right. He was from the very beginning looking at what God was doing and saying, how can I mess this up?
1: That's right. So there's a whole story in scripture that, predates Genesis. I mean, when we talk about the fact that, you know, God creates these angels and then Lucifer, Satan, the devil, the serpent is one of those angels. So beautiful that Isaiah describes him as the morning light, right? And, and he is a beautiful created angel who wants to take glory from God. And he stages this rebellion in glory. And then he gets kicked out of heaven with his, his demons. And, and then we roll into Genesis, <laughs> yeah. so, like how exactly that works. I don't know how it works in time, how it works in space. I don't know, understand any of that, but he predates all of that. He, he's, he's a created being just like we are. And, and to me, the gospel becomes even more profound because Satan gets kicked, kicked out of glory for his transgression and he must be ticked <laughs> that we are offered salvation. Like, I, I wonder if when he kicks Adam and Eve, uh, or when he tempts Adam and Eve, and they sin, and God kicks them out of the garden. If in his mind, it's like, this is genius because they are now facing what I'm facing. Like I'm hurting someone that God loves and and he gets the win. And to see that through Jesus and through his work on the cross, we are saved despite our sin, that we don't have to actually fix anything in ourselves, that he does all the work that has got to tick him off beyond anything that we're given mercy and grace that he wasn't.
0: Yeah. Well, and you said something just now that I actually think is really important to I don't want to go too far down a tangent, but I do want to call this out because I think it's a thing that a lot of times Christians we really struggle with, which is it's okay that we don't understand what might have happened before in the beginning, right? There are things that right, like we don't know like Genesis one, the time. And and our pastor doesn't like we just don't, but it that's not a salvation issue, first of all. Exactly. And I my wife and I have this conversation with our kids sometimes. And her thing is, I just don't believe in dinosaurs because I don't understand how
1: they fit into the Bible.
0: <laughs> I'm not picking on you. I love you, honey. But but the point is, and this is what we say, it's, like, it's okay. Like, it's okay that we don't fully understand. You
1: know, you don't have to believe in dinosaurs.
0: <laughs> you don't, right? They don't believe in you either. It's fine. But, it's
1: really sad to think that the dinosaurs don't believe in us. I I, know. I just wish they would.
0: I do too, but that would be scary. Okay. But. It, so that's an important thing, I think, for us to think about. It's okay that we don't fully understand it. But what we do understand from this passage and from others is that Satan doesn't really have actual ability to do things beyond lying to us,
1: right? Yeah. Like that's ultimately the only yeah, thing he can do. Yeah, he's got his, yeah, exactly. His his schemes to deceive and divide. And I think uh, there was that famous, oh, what was his name? was it Flip Wilson, the old comedian who kind of launched with that whole thing? I can't remember when it was, uh, in the 50s or something like that, where he did The Devil Made Me Do It was his his whole, his kick, you know, his little line. And I think a lot of times we can kind of over-spiritualize things where we're thinking like the devil's around every corner and realize he's not omnipresent. So, you know, the likelihood of him being in your closet is really slim, Uh, but he does have his his demons, his fallen angels and all of that. And and we can sometimes over-spiritualize things when it's really our flesh that is causing us to sin, and he's just fanning that into flames. But the other side, equally dangerous, is to think that he doesn't exist at all and that he's not got a scheme and he's not working. And sometimes I, I, I I look at situations where it seems like someone, uh, fails like in an instant and you're like, what happened with that person? And I can't help but always think, no, the devil is patient. And he was probably just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, deceiving, 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 dividing, dividing, dividing for so long. And he was just patient. And, and then eventually the person falls and everybody's like, what? And you're like, yes, yes. And, and it also gives fair warning to all of us to say, Hey, just the devil is probably at work in those ways in our lives. And just be careful at the places he just chips and chips and chips away. Yeah, and I want to come back to the
0: devil in a minute, which is a weird thing to say out loud, (laughs) but I do. I want to come back to the devil in a minute, but first there is another guy in this passage, There
1: is, well, some random dude, right? Yeah, rando.
0: so the other twist, right? M. Night Shyamalan never included two twists in his movies, but in this one we Paul is
1: better. The Holy Spirit is better.
0: That's true. Than M. Night. I unequivocally agree with that, just to be (laughs) clear. I'm on the record, but he says, if in verse 5, He says, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused pain not so much to me, but to some degree, not to exaggerate, to all of you. And reading that, it almost seems hypothetical. Right. It's like if this thing happened, like this, I just want you to know like if
1: anyone caused pain. If a thing happens, right, exactly. But
0: then it's very clear immediately after that he goes, This punishment by the majority is sufficient for that person. Instead, you should forgive and come. He's actually talking about a dude.
1: He's talking about a, a, a very specific person. A yeah, very a who? Specific situation. <laughs>
0: who is this guy? That's what I <laughs> want to know. This is what people really come to this podcast for. Is especially because there's there is this question about is this the same person from I think First Corinthians maybe chapter sixteen?
1: Um, well, I'm flipping back. I think it's uh, do 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 First Corinthians five is very likely. So I'm just, fl- and if first Corinthians five, there's uh, a, an Im- there's some immoral church members is what the header is, but it's, it's talking about a guy that uh, has a kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated amongst the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. That's very commonly what people think that this guy might be. Right. Okay. Yes, that was the first. And then there's actually another person. So I'm sorry for stringing you. Let me flip around.
0: The one I was actually meaning to refer to, and I was in the wrong letter altogether. This is the fourth, which we call the second one, just to clarify, is in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, where there was someone else who was claiming apostolic authority, which would be a direct challenge to Paul. Which actually could be the same guy. Which could be the same this guy be, as the other same guy
1: right right okay okay, <laughs> okay. so so let, let's let's talk about this who's the guy so there's one viewpoint that says that guy I just read about in from First Corinthians 5 this sexually immoral guy could be the guy and that is usually held to by those who believe that there is, um, that first Corinthians is only first Corinthians and second Corinthians are the only books. And so basically they would say when he's referring to that guy, he's saying, Hey, that guy that you rebuked for sleeping with his dad's wife, you know, he, this is that guy. Uh, I got a couple of reasons why I don't think that's the case. Uh, first is timeline wise. I mean, Paul writes first Corinthians likely in 55 or 56 AD, and he likely writes, uh, his second letter, second Corinthians in 57 AD. So basically you got a year or two and in that year or two, he has traveled all the way from Ephesus, right? He gets to Corinth and has his painful visit. Then he goes back to Philippi. He's doing all this travel and then just, you can't imagine that they kick this guy out and then like, he just com- completely is repentant and they're like bringing him back in that short period of time. That's one, that's a loose argument. The bigger argument is Paul obviously saying he is the one that was offended in this passage. And if, if this dude's sleeping with his dad's wife, it is not Paul who is the primary. Paul a, is not his dad, right. Right. right? Now the second viewpoint is, is, is if you take the third letter and it gets jammed into the fourth letter, that's where your part comes in. Where at the end of Second Corinthians, some people believe those passages um, are talking about these, these fake apostles, things like that, that that is the severe letter. And it just got jammed by somebody at some point into Second Corinthians and then just became... Part of the text. I don't think that's the case either. I think he, so this could be the same guy, but it's not likely to be the guy. He. That's not the letter that was written to him, if mm. that makes sense. Yep. Back as a third letter. So I think likely who this person is is somebody who was. Uh, either claiming that Paul was not apostle, or he was not good enough of an apostle, or he, you know, all these other accusations that show up in this book, you're not a very good preacher, you're a better writer than a preacher, you know, you, all these sorts of things. There was probably a guy that was starting an uprising, that he was like the chief front guy that was kind of going after Paul and, and kind of pulling people in behind him. And that is more likely to be, I think, who that guy is. And I think it's, which makes it even, and crazier because then Paul, like I referenced over the weekend, Paul basically says, if you guys forgive him, I forgive him. And that's remarkable. Like Paul's the chief guy being offended. And he's like, Nope, I trust a church discipline process. And if you guys say you've worked it through and it sounds like this guy's repentant and Titus came and told me everything is good. I'm good. And, and, and like, can you imagine being that forgiving? It's just remarkable. Well, and the
0: other thing that's remarkable, which is a thing we don't really hear or think or talk about is like church discipline. It feels like a very interesting thing because in a, in our society, we we don't necessarily think about the church as like what authority would the church have to do a thing. And yet Paul, what Paul is saying is like, that's an important piece of this because right, like at this time of, history right they first of all didn't have the bible they didn't have like we can just go to the bible and we can find an answer to things or we only preach from the bible there was it was a little more chaotic it feels like and so the church had a system of discipline and this is a person who was kicked out like i i hope i'm not gonna have anybody who's listening to this which is never the way you should start saying anything because <laughs> i just guaranteed i'm going to but like the only like it feels very catholic to me like it feels like there's a process of like we would kick somebody out of the church And then yet Paul is saying like, but if you all forgive him,
1: I'm good. Like I don't need anything more. That was really strange. Well, I I do think that church discipline is one of those things that is misunderstood in in our culture a lot. And church discipline is something we do practice even at RIV. And when people sign a membership commitment with us, they say, hey, I would submit myself to church discipline. And so what happens is the more... Uh, grievous and the more habitual a sin continues to be, the more likely it is to have church discipline. And there are situations, but we don't talk about them a whole lot because, you know, in in some churches, they will, you know, always like, they would try to follow like Matthew 18. And in Matthew 18, Jesus is very clear. If someone sinned against you, go to them first, then you bring someone else and then if, if they won't listen to someone else, then you bring it before the church. And so a, a lot of times people will think, oh, okay, that means you know if, if, you know if you're in sin against me and I've talked to you and you won't listen, you won't listen to a couple of people, we gotta go up on stage and tell everybody. And so we tend to handle things at Riverview within the circle of influence and the impact of that person. And so there are times where we've had to sit down with people and we've had to say, listen, you are, you are unrepentant of a sin and and we are brought in because a person has talked to them they brought somebody else along and then they bring in the church and and so the goal is always for restoration and one of the coolest things is we've got stories of restoration at riv we've got stories of people who were stored here we have stories of people who were church disciplined at another church came to our church and then during the membership process we asked them questions like have you ever been under church discipline anywhere else and they're like yes i'm actually and then we have actually connected with that church and helped restore that brother or sister and then they are part of our church family now we've had multiple of those and so these things still do happen and the goal like paul says here is always restoration where, where he's even just I love how he just talks about reaffirming the love for that person that you want to make sure they're not overwhelmed by excessive grief you should give forgiveness and comfort and we often think of church discipline as just like you said very like you said, Catholic, I'm just kicking this person out as to well how it sounds. Um, and I'm not saying that the Catholic Church does that. It's just that that's, that was the illustration you used there, that we just kind of feel it. But the goal is always a restoration to fellowship with other brothers and sisters and a restoration of fellowship with God. And so I think of discipline, and I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think of discipline as something that starts. It's kind of like if you think about discipline in, in an area of your life. Uh, it's it, There's not just like discipline, like you're being disciplined, but church discipline is learning how to be disciplined. It is learning how to rank yourself under scripture. It is all of that kind of wraps around church discipline. So it's just kind of pointing people toward truth and and calling them to follow Jesus. So... One of the other
0: pieces that was interesting, I think it was Paul David Tripp, who is an author. He, he actually wrote the Habits of the Household Book that they use in a, in, a, in a class here, and or that they're going to use in a class here this spring. And I, I'm almost positive it was him who said that when, talking to parents dealing with their children, that when you discipline your children, you always want to deal with the heart issue, not just the behavior that's issue. Right. Yep. yep, and so, and that's always stuck with me. I have four children. <laughs> Some of them have occasionally had to be disciplined, but it's it's always a reminder to me. And what I what I love about the way Paul is 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 directing this at the heart, right? And, and as opposed to the devil just wants us to look at the behavior. Right. Right. He exactly. just wants us, yep. and he wants us to make assumptions about the behavior and assumptions about motivation and assumptions about all of these things. And it was it was kind of striking to me as you were going through the Genesis passage about how easily he'll just slide in a single word. Mm-hmm. Right. Did he say you couldn't eat from any of the trees, which yeah. is not what he said. And yet Eve. So it was like, oh, yeah, that mean God. He told us we couldn't eat from any of the or trees. touch. Yeah. Or touch. Right. She even adds <laughs> another layer to it. And so it, it feels like what Paul is saying is we need to you need to be you, you need to be aware of what his scheme is, because the thing he's going to try to do is to deceive you in order to divide you. And that is a real thing that we experience inside the church and outside the church today. Yeah, and if
1: you think about it, the devil's ultimate enemy is not you. You are collateral damage. He hates God. He hates Jesus. And I think that, like I said earlier, he's probably ticked at us because of the grace and mercy that we get, but we're not ultimately his enemy. I, I really don't think that. I think what I think anything he can do to hurt the church. So if you think about the church as being the bride of Christ, like the worst thing that you could do to me is to hurt my wife. The worst thing you could do to me is to divide me and my wife. And so I think that's why that's so much a part of his strategy and his scheme is because he wants to hurt those whom Jesus loves.
0: Yeah, and I think you said something that I I feel like is, we are not his enemy. Right? The I, don't, God, think we're, I don't, God don't think we're is,
1: ultimately his enemy. Right, I mean, so there's a sense in which we are his enemy. By proxy, sort by of. By proxy, yeah, yeah, because because we are united with Christ. And I think his, you know, when you talk about his schemes, it's interesting. I think his schemes shift a little bit. And I've just had this experientially with people where the way he, he deceives and divides is basically before you are a follower of Christ, he just wants to convince you that you are good enough and that God is not good. So he's like, you're good. God's not good. Your sin is really not that big of a deal, right? And, and, and I've, t- I've talked to countless people that that's how they felt all the way until the Holy Spirit really convicted them of their sin. And then they became a Christian. And like that, like all of a sudden, they're like, feel terrible about their sin. And I think the, the Satan shifts to now what, how the the book of Revelation describes him as the accuser of the brothers and sisters. So now all of a sudden, who does he accuse? Brothers and sisters. Who does he not accuse? Non-Christians, right? So before we become a follower of Christ, we think everything's hunky-dory. And that's the lie he tells us. And then we become a Christian. And now all of a sudden he's beating us up about our sin that Jesus took care of on the cross already. It's, it is the ultimate twist.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's an important distinction. And I also think that it is a helpful reminder for us to be thinking, because regardless of whether we're ultimately Satan's enemy or just by proxy, the reality is that other brothers and sisters in Christ are definitely not our enemy. And actually, for that that matter, neither are non-Christians, just to be candid, right? They're still made in the image of God. And yet it is so
1: easy for us to make enemies. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Right. (laughs) and and, And we do. We tend to. And I think that that's why for me... I just feel like where the devil is getting his biggest wins right now are on social media. And if you're around me long if you'll hear me say this. I say this in weekend services. I say this all the time. I just feel like the the constant sniping from some brothers and sisters to other brothers and sisters online the is is has got to bring joy to Satan's face. Like he's got to just be delighted with the way we treat one another. And and the world is probably looking at us thinking, who are these idiots, right? Because the world doesn't think, oh, there's a difference between a Baptist and this Methodist and this tribe and that church down the street or anything. They don't think in those categories and yet we're sniping at each other and he's just gotta be <laughs> absolutely delighted. Yeah, and it it's, it is
0: it is interesting the amount of energy that we will spend on pointing at each other and just creating division and creating fights. And in I feel like you know when I went away when I was in college and when and when I was younger, there was sort of the idea like, would you say that in front of your mother? Would you would you do that if your parents were watching? Do you kiss your mother with that with that mouth, dirty mouth, <laughs> whatever? Now it's more like your children or your wife, but. I feel like the, I, the new thing that every one of us should keep in the back of our minds is like, is this thing I'm about to say or do bring, going to bring joy to Satan, <laughs> right? Like that's, <laughs> an, that's an interesting <laughs> that's reminder. Like if, if, if the thing you're about to do, cause you said, like, I think it just puts delight on his face. I don't ever want to do that. I don't want to put delight on his face. I want to be, you know, someone who is bringing joy to my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to Jesus. I, and I'm, I think that if people hear this message. Like the obvious question is if Satan's goal is to deceive us, like how do we, I mean, being aware of it is an important piece of it, but what is the next piece of it of how we can sort of like combat that?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that if his strategy is deception and division, the antidote to that is truth and unity. And, and so constantly, looking for the truth, looking at the truth. I mean, Jesus is the way the truth and the life, having ourselves focused on him and his word and what is true and right and good is is step one. And then unity is the second piece. I mean, there's so much scripture that talks about unity. I mean, you know, there's passages that say things like, as much as it depends on you, seek to be at peace with everyone. The, The call to unity is throughout the New Testament. In fact, when you talk about church discipline, one of the very specific categories of discipline that appears in the New Testament is people who are divisive. And we're told if someone is divisive, warn them once, warn them twice, and kick them out. There's like, that's the process. There's no long drawn out process. If someone is divisive, they get two warnings and that's it. Why? Because it's such a big deal. And so I think for us striving for unity, striving for unity and the bond of peace, right? Striving for truth and unity be at the center of what we're doing. And whenever we sense that a division is happening, we ought to look for the lie. Because sometimes you need to rightly divide, right? And and so sometimes there are times where, where, you know, and there's times where, you know, uh, geez, the apostle Paul and uh, Paul and Barnabas had to go separate ways. They couldn't get along. You can't both bring Luke with you and not bring Luke with you. They had to make a decision and they couldn't make, so they had to go separate ways. And sometimes division happens and there's, it happens. And those we should, but when those things happen, we should mourn that those things happen. And whenever there is division, we should look, is there an untruth being spoken? Spoke here, or believed here, or at the center of this thing. Go tackle that with truth, and see if that solves the unity issue.
0: Yeah, and it also seems maybe there's an important distinction between division and disagreement, right? Sure. Because you can you can have a disagreement in good faith because two people are are striving to find the truth. Oh
1: yeah. In fact, I think that I I don't mind disagreement. I don't mind scrapping around those things in a way that has. A, a, a tonal unity, but when disagreements lead to division and the the tone is to divide, And then, or when that's the goal, I start to get nervous. And so, yeah, I have no problem with disagreements. I disagree. I think it's one of the ways iron sharpens iron, as it says in the Proverbs. We just get together with somebody else who thinks differently than we do. and We chop it up a little bit, and then we come out sharper. So that's all great. But division, that's a whole different thing.
0: Right. And so the question is... Will this disagreement bring joy to Satan or joy to God? Right. <laughs> like let's right. just yeah. keep that yeah, as exactly, our Brahman, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. And, and so- by the way, you,
1: you brought up the whole kissing your mom. Would you kiss your mom with those lips? And I couldn't help but think of, of James and James three where he, he says with the tongue, we bless our Lord and father and we curse people who are made in God's likeness, blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. <laughs> he says, my brothers and sisters, it should not be that way. Yes. Do, you, do you kiss your mom with that mouth? <laughs> yes, exactly. And it
0: is a weird thing to ask, you know, another adult to do. But anyway, uh, it works better if I ask my kids that are you going to anyway? So I, my last question, you should be prepared by the, th- fourth or fifth time we've done that is just it. What are the things that we didn't get to cover in this message that maybe people should know or should be looking at and maybe study on their own?
1: Well, it, it's funny because we almost always hit what I'm thinking during the course, of this, which is great. Which this is, is, is the service means, I provide. That means you are doing this well. Um, but I think that the big thing is our tendency to either over or under spiritualize a Satan. And there just seems to be people who are looking behind every, you know, around every corner, underneath every rock, always blaming Satan for everything. And we we, t- we over-spiritualize things and we under-spiritualize things by not recognizing the reality that there is a spiritual world around us with an actual spiritual warfare going on that we are actually part of whether we realize it or not, that those things are both real. And we have we have a tendency to do both those. So that was something I didn't get a chance to get into this weekend too much. But I, I think having a, an appropriate awareness Without, you know, having it cause us to not have any sleep at night is a good thing.
0: Yeah, I don't like losing sleep either. So that's good. And that's a good place to leave it. Hopefully we didn't put you to sleep. We're very glad that you joined us and we can't wait to talk to you again next week.